All right. It's been a while since I've done this. Let's see. Well, as Brad said, my name is Ruth Ellen. I'm the children's director here, and I just returned from maternity leave. And our little boy, Anthony, just turned one and is so close to walking. He is like, he can do it if he wants to, you know, but he he's not quite sure he can trust himself to actually let go of that hand and take a couple steps. It's funny, you'll be holding his hand and, and walking with him, and, and he'll look up at you, smile, and he's holding your hand, and he'll go, He'll just let go for just a second and smile like, look at what I did. (laughs) Isn't that so cool? But I'm not actually going to let go. And uh, trust is a funny thing. It takes a lot of trust to trust yourself and to trust that you can can grow. And that is... um, ends up being a theme as well for this story that we're looking at is, is trust. Is God trustworthy? Um, I think this, this story is an awful lot about showing how trustworthy God is. And uh, it's also interesting in looking through this story just to see how is David able to trust God? Because I'm sure you know it's simple to say, trust the Lord, but actually doing it can be very tricky at times. One of my favorite verses um, that my mom made me memorize when I was a kid, and I'm very grateful that she did, was, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge God, and he will direct your paths. And that has been something that has been continually reminding me, and uh, I think we will see that is shown and to be true in David's life today. So where did we leave off? Last week we heard that uh, David had been waiting for something for a really long time. It was a promise. And he was waiting and waiting and waiting for this promise to come true. Who can remember what promise was it? Shout it out if you remember what it was. He'll be king. That's right. God promised that he would be king. And it hadn't happened yet for a long time because somebody else was king, Saul, and he was waiting. Well, last week... King Saul, we heard that King Saul was dead and his son Jonathan was dead and then David was now king of just one of the tribes of Judah. The other tribes of Israel were, um, they had anointed one of Saul's other sons to be king in his place. But then all of a sudden everything changed through a series of events. Israel's commander was murdered, or the army commander was murdered and then their king was murdered and now they're left with no military commander and no king. And so that is where we Um, pick up today. I'm going to read the story, and in true children's ministry fashion, there's something that you're going to do as we go through this. So every once in a while, we're going to stop, and to help us remember this point and celebrate what we're reading together, we're all going to stand up if you're able, if you just had a baby, or if you've broken your leg, or or if you're just not able to stand, don't feel bad about that. Stay in your seat, but we're all going to stand, if you can, and say, God did it. He is trustworthy. So we're going to practice that. So everybody stand up if you can. Say, God did it. He is trustworthy. And sit down. Perfect. We're going to do it again. And stand up. God did it. He is trustworthy. And sit down. All right. Great. We'll keep you on your toes, literally. So here we go. Now all the tribes of Israel went to David at Hebron and told him, We are your own flesh and blood. 
In the past, when Saul was our king, you were the one who really led the forces of Israel. And the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel and you will be Israel's leader. So here at Hebron, King David made a covenant before the Lord with all the elders of Israel and they anointed him king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 30 years in all. He had reigned over Judah from Hebron for seven years and six months. And then from Jerusalem, he reigned over all of Israel and Judah for 33 years. God did it. He is trustworthy. He did do it. Finally, he's king after years and years of waiting. And what's interesting is that not just years and years of waiting. These were hard years of waiting. And there were actually two specific times where it would have been really, really, really tempting for David to help God along with the process. There were two times when Saul was out chasing David, trying to kill him. And through one circumstance and another, once when Saul had to go pee in the bushes or like in a cave and didn't know that David was hiding in there, David's men were like, look, God has given David into your hands. Go out, kill him, and become king. And David said, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. That would be really easy, but I'm not going to help God along. I don't believe that's actually how the Lord's going to do it. I'm trusting that God will make me king in his time. I don't know about you, but there's certainly times where it is so tempting to help God along. He says, I'm going to do this, and you're like, this would be the perfect time to do this, God. Like, come on, can I just, you know, you're being a little slow here. But David doesn't. He is able to be patient. And we see that pay off. Now God has made him king. And we'll see throughout the rest of the stories in this chapter um, that God is with him in everything he does. That David models waiting on the Lord and listening to the Lord. And the Lord is with him at every step of the way. So now we see David has become king, and we're going to see the first couple battles that he has. David then led men to Jerusalem to fight against the Jebusites, the original inhabitants of the land who were there. The Jebusites taunted David, saying, You'll never get in here. Even the blind and the lame could defeat you. For the Jebusites thought, David will never get in here. <laughs> Imagine that. The Jebusites thought they were safe, but David captured the fortress of Zion, which is now called the city of David. On the day of attack, David said to his troops, anybody who wants to get in and defeat those blind and lame are going to have to go through the city through the water tunnels. That is the origin of the saying, the blind and the lame may not enter the house. And so David made the fortress his home. He had defeated it. And he called it the city of David. He extended the city, starting at the supporting terrace and working inward. And David became more and more powerful because the Lord God of heaven's armies was with him. God did it. He is trustworthy. Then king of Haram, of Tyre, king Hiram, Haram, Hiram, I have such a hard time pronouncing Old Testament names. Hiram, let's say Hiram, of Tyre, sent messengers to David along with cedar timber and carpenters and stonemasons, and they built David a palace. David realized that the Lord had confirmed him as king over Israel and blessed his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. God did it. He is trustworthy. 
Now, a palace was very much in the day a symbol of security, of power, and authority. So it really was. I can see how David said, look, I actually have a palace now. Like, this was not just a sign that he was established as king, but another sign that God was establishing Israel in their land. He had promised to give them this land, and this was finally like a feeling of, we have a home. Like, we're actually building a palace here. We have, we have stability in this place. Now, not everybody was excited about that. The Philistines, as we will see, were not thrilled that David was king. You'll remember there was a lot of um, fighting going on between the two of them. So we're going to see what happens here. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king of Israel, they mobilized all their forces to capture him. But David was told they were coming, so he went into the stronghold, Jerusalem, which he just captured, remember, because it happened to be have really good walls and not very many people could get in. He went to the stronghold, and the Philistines arrived, and they spread out across the valley of Rephaim. So David said to the Lord, Should I go out to fight the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? And the Lord replied to David, Yes, go, and I will certainly hand them over to you. So David went to Bel-perazim and defeated the Philistines there. The Lord did it, David exclaimed. He burst through my enemies like a raging flood. So he called the place Baal-perazim, which means the Lord who burst through. The Philistines had abandoned their idols there, so David and his men confiscated them. God did it. He is trustworthy. Something before we move on that I want to point out. Notice in the past two battles, it explains that the nations who were living there were putting all of their trust into something that proved not to be trustworthy. Who can identify one of the things that they were trusting in that didn't work? Shout it out if you can think of it. Past two battle stories. Pardon? The city wall. Yep, first was the city wall. They were really, really arrogant, right? They were taunting. They were like, you can't get in here. Like, even our blind and lame will be able to feed you. Like, you know, we're, we're our big old strong wall. And it proved out not to be true. What was the other thing? The one that we just read, it was at the very end of the story. The idols. That's right. The Philistines, it was very common back then, was to bring your gods with you to battle because the idea is that if your gods are with you in battle, they'll give you extra strength and they will help you defeat whatever you're defeating. And we see that the Philistines are in such, you know, or disarray, that they, they abandon them. They drop them, and they flee. So I think God, again, is proving here he is the strongest God, right? He is the only God, and he's making himself known to all of the nations around them that that is the case. And we also see that David, his trust is in something very trustworthy. His trust is in God, and God is indeed trustworthy. Now, that didn't quite... Um, deter the Philistines very much. They didn't, uh, they decided to come back for another pass at David. And so for this part of the story, everybody's going to play a little part. So we have over here the Israelites, okay? You're the Israelites, and you're going to actually stand up, and at some point you're going to walk over to here to defeat the Philistines, okay? By our family, I'm especially counting on you guys. Okay, then everybody here you are going to be trees. So you're going to stand up. Let's practice. Stand up. And you're just going to wave your arms. Okay? Good. Good trees. Okay, you can sit down for a second. And you guys, you can stay sitting. You're going to be the sound of marching feet. So everybody practice. Yeah, good. You're the marching feet. Good. 
you are the terrified Philistines. So you're going to, when, when we get to the part in the story, all you're going to do is you're going to get up and you're going to walk to the black curtain like you're running away, but you don't have to go that far. Just black curtain and back, okay? Okay, and Israelites, when you're attacked, you know, you're going to go around the trees and then you're just going to go to their chairs and then come back and pretend you defeated them. Okay, so here we go. Oh, trees stand up. Everybody ready? Trees waving, marching feet, ready. Okay, Philistines ready to look scared. Okay, and Israelites ready to conquer. Okay, here we go. Okay, no more marching feet. Wait, not yet. But after a while, the Philistines returned and again spread out across the valley. You're all spread out. And again, David asked the Lord what to do. Keep your arms up, trees. I know you're going to get the best workout. The Lord said, don't tack them a straight on, the Lord replied. Instead, get up. You have to circle around behind near the poplar trees. When you hear the sound of marching feet... That's the sign the Lord's gone out before you and attack! Attack the Philistines! Very good. (laughs) Yeah, Israel has defeated them. You can go find your seats again. Thank you for being such good sports. You guys were excellent. Excellent? Excellent Philistines. Israelites and trees and marching feet. So that's the signal that they were moving, the Lord was moving ahead. So David did what the Lord had commanded, and he struck down the Philistines all the way to Gibeon, uh, from Gibeon to Gezer. God did it. He is trustworthy. Perfect. God is trustworthy. Thank you for participating in this story. Um, Again, I go back to that verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, and in all of your ways, acknowledge God, and he will direct your paths. David really lives this out. Do you see that in these stories? He isn't relying on his own military strengths. Every single time, he's asking God, what do I do? And interesting enough, God didn't tell him the same thing twice, right? The first time he said, yep, go ahead, defeat them. I'm with you. The second time, he actually gave him very specific instructions, like go around the trees, wait till you hear the sound of marching feet, which is like the the sound of the Lord moving ahead of you, and then go in and attack them. I think that's a um, a good point for us to remember as well, that often when we're listening to the Lord and we hear him, not to assume that that's the exact same way he's going to respond every time. Right? He wants us to continue to, to seek him in every situation. And David definitely does this. And we also see David does this not only here, but with David and Goliath. Right? Remember that story? If he was relying on his own uh, understanding of things, he probably wouldn't have tried to defeat Goliath. Because Goliath had way more experience in battle. He was a lot taller, had better weapons, and a lot bigger. But was David relying on what he knew externally? No, he was relying on God. He even says that, is the Lord will defeat you. The Lord will hand you over to me this day. And he does that. So we see this is a pattern in David's life, that he is relying and he's able to see God's point of view in every situation. And it gives him strength 
to be able to trust God. And it can't have been easy. I mean, these stakes were very high. David wasn't just sort of, well, he's waiting to become king. He wasn't just sitting in the field, sipping iced tea, playing his harp, watching the sheep, you know. He was on the run. I mean, he was, he was working for Saul, who tried to kill him a couple times. And then he was on the run because Saul was still trying to kill him. He had to leave his best friend and go to a different country. At one point, he had to pretend he was insane so he wouldn't be killed. This was not an easy or comfortable waiting period. So how does he do it? When we read stories like this, sometimes it can be kind of like, they did this, God did this, this happened. Fact, fact, fact. And it can be a little hard sometimes to get into the head and the heart as to what's going on in that person's mind. Luckily for us, David was a poet, and he was a songwriter. And so if we turn to the Psalms that he wrote, I think it gives us a really good understanding. One, just how terrified he was at points. We don't always get that from reading these things. Like, oh, David just asked the Lord and he did it, right? He must have been like, you know, no fear at all. Like, no, he, had, he wrestled with a lot of things. And two, we also get a little bit of an idea that how in the midst of so much grief and fear and um, trouble, how was he able to trust God? So we're going to look quickly at one of those psalms that he wrote. Psalm 56. David wrote this psalm when he was, um, one of the points when he was captured by the Philistines. So he was, he was a captive at this point. Oh God, have mercy on me for people are hounding me. My foes attack me all day long. I am constantly hounded by those who slander me, and many are boldly attacking me. But why am I afraid? I will put my trust in you. I will praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? They are always twisting what I say. They spend their days plotting to harm me. They come together and spy on me. They watch my every step. They're eager to kill me. Don't let them get away with their wickedness. In your anger, God, bring them down. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all of my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. My enemies will retreat when I call on you for help. This I know. God is on my side. I praise God for what he has promised. Yes, I praise the Lord for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? I will fulfill my vows to you, God. I will offer a sacrifice of thanks for your help. For you have rescued me from death. You have kept my feet from slipping, so now I can walk in your presence, God in your life-giving light. So what is David doing here? We see him pouring out his heart, his hurt, his troubles, crying out to God, and he doesn't leave anything at the door, right? He brings his emotion, he brings his fear, and leaves it with the Lord. But he's able to keep from getting pulled under in despair so often when I do that, sometimes it's so scary, this feeling that you're just, you don't want to go there. You know, it, can I ever get out? 
I don't want to get un- pulled under in despair. He's able to keep from getting lost in his despair by remembering who God is and what God has promised and even praising God for what is promised. It's like he has, it's like he forces himself to put glasses on that have God's promises written on them and so that regardless of what he's looking at, he still sees the hurt, he still sees the pain, he still sees the fear, but he also sees God's promises overlaid it and that gives him strength, it gives him perspective to keep going. He remembers that God is the real God. He often, in the Psalms, you often hear about God is on the throne. He's acknowledging God is the real king. A perspective shift. Where are your eyes fixed? What are you paying attention to in your thoughts and in your heart? When I was a little girl, my family would go on an annual camping trip in New York, where we lived at the time. And it was our favorite spot but this was a bit of a different camping site. We had to drive what felt like forever. I have no idea how long it actually was, but as a kid, it's probably seven years old. It felt like forever. And then you have to get on this logging road, so it's a dirt road, and you drive again for forever, and you're chattering. It feels like your teeth are going to fall out because of all the bumps on the road. And then you finally get to a, a clearing, which is the parking lot, and you park your car, and that begins your journey on foot. So then you take everything out of your car, you load up as much as you can carry on your back, and you trek it a quarter of a mile down this path to a lake. Once you're at the lake, you put everything that we had, five kids, two parents, into the canoes, two canoes that my brother and my dad lug down that trail, and then and balance everything, make sure everybody fit in, nobody's going to fall out, and then you'd canoe across the lake to a campsite. It was so remote. It was amazing. Not the trek to get there, but once you were there, the stars, they were so many, you couldn't see the sky. As a kid, I remember just laying out and watching and just being like in awe. I could see the Milky Way. I never could see the Milky Way from anywhere except at that camping spot. And it was so quiet. My favorite sound is still the sound of a lake lapping up on the shore, just that quiet lapping sound. It was such a beautiful spot. Always lots of fighting to get there, but once you were there, it was beautiful. This particular trip, we had sort of three spots that we liked the best, and you'd kind of canoe to one, see if somebody's there, canoe to the next, and we ended up going to a spot we didn't usually go to. It had a bit more, a lot of the places you'd canoe up, and it would just be rocks, and you kind of have to like climb up the rocks and then there'd be the dirt and stuff. This one actually had a bit of a sandbar, so you could actually have like a little bit of a sandy place to sit. And um, almost like a beach, a little mini, mini beach. So we canoed up there, we unpacked everything, and we're sitting down. My brother didn't drink enough water. It was a really hot day, so he got heat stroke and he was hallucinating everywhere. He was like, Ugh. So he's in the, in the tent, we have our dinner, and it starts to rain. Raining and camping is never fun, but this really starts to rain. And I start getting a little worried. I remembered in the car, I heard the story like about, oh, be careful this weekend, there might be a storm coming, so I'm kind of nervous. We finish up dinner, we all huddle in the tents, and we're trying to sleep. And it starts like it. Re- the storm comes, and I'm getting more and more nervous. 
and my parents are hushed and talking and whispering and trying to figure out what to do. My little brothers are asleep, but they keep waking up, and then the thunder and lightning starts. And the lightning starts. I don't know, kids, if you've ever done this, but we had this little trick where whenever the lightning would flash, you'd start counting seconds. One, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand, boom. And then you'd see how long the space was in between the thunder and the lightning. And then you, I can't remember how you calculate it, but then you could figure out how close the lightning was. So we would do that. One, one thousand, two, boom. Like, it was close. So I'm freaking out because this lightning is like really, really close. And then my brother, every time, he was hallucinating, Daniel, he, every time the lightning would flash, he'd yell, Jimmy, stop shining the flashlight in my eyes because he is so out of it. And my mom's trying to calm him down. Daniel, nobody's shining a flashlight in your eyes. It's just the, you know, it's the lightning. And he's just like, and throwing up because of the, you know. And then my little brother is crying because he's scared. And I even remember, I'm really getting worried. I remember my mom and dad, it got so bad that they were contemplating, should we make a break for it? to the beach and huddle under these canoes because if the trees start falling down it's less likely in that clearing that a tree would fall down and if it did the canoes would break the fall I am scared for my life and I'm sitting there wondering if I'm going to make it make it through the night and my little brothers are crying my mom's sitting there trying to comfort them and she just starts singing oh lord my god when I in awesome wonder Consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe proclaims. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. How great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. In that moment, peace just settled. A complete perspective shift. I was so focused on those lightning and thunder and the trees that might collapse on us. I forgot God was the one who made it up everything. He was the one who was there in the midst of the storm. And if it was his will, he would protect us. He had power over that storm. I had a complete different awe of who God was after that moment. And since then, it has reminded me again and again, where am I looking? Am I just seeing the fear and the things, the circumstances around me or am I looking to God who is in control, is trustworthy, and above all things? So where are your eyes fixed? I think one of the things that can be tricky about trust is that you can't trust who you don't know. And sometimes I find it hard to trust God because I actually realize it's because I'm not really sure who he is. So I really encourage you. I don't know what it is that you're having struggles trusting with, but I encourage you, like 
David, let scripture breathe life into you. Look to his story. Allow it to lift your eyes up from what you see to seeing the God who created the world. If you're not sure who Jesus is or who God is, look to Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. How do I know what God is like? Jesus, study him. Go to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Watch what Jesus does, what he says, how he treats people, what he trusts in, and let him teach you about himself and teach you about God. We're going to spend some time in a minute allowing God to speak because David believed that God spoke. We see it all throughout the scriptures. God does speak, and I believe it today. And as much as I could share my heart with you, you don't need to hear me. You need to hear God. And I really want to create space for that today. So I've, I've come up with a couple of options can use them if you would like. And in a minute, the band's going to come up and play a couple songs, and we're just going to have time to talk. Tell him your fears, what you're angry with, what you're frustrated with. Ask him who he is. On one side of the stage, on each side, we have um, pallets that have just some string on them, and you'll notice you have ribbon on your chairs. I encourage you, as the music is playing, just take that ribbon and hold it and let it represent whatever it is God's prompting you to trust him about. And pray about that and think about that. Think about what would it look like to trust God in this. Maybe it's you're moving to a new school and you're not sure how you're going to make new friends. Maybe it's your job is asking you to do some morally questionable things and you're not sure if you should say yes or no. Maybe it's you are worried about the tension in the family. You've heard the fighting and it's just it's causing anxiety in you. Maybe it's um, what's happening as us as a community, the changes that we've been facing. Maybe it's the doctor's appointment that you have. I don't know, but you know and God knows. Let that ribbon represent that thing. And when you're ready, go up and just tie it as tight as you can around that string as a symbol of, God, I'm trusting you. You've got it, and I'm giving it to you. Maybe you just need God's promise. Jesus, I mean, Jesus, David holds on, and Jesus holds on to those promises. They keep him grounded. And if that's you, we have another palette over there with different scriptures. Just go over there, kneel, pray, and rip one off and take it home. Put it on your mirror so that every morning in the bathroom you see that promise and it keeps you focused for the day. We're also going to have prayer, um, prayer people on the sides and so if you, if you would like somebody to personally pray for you, whether it's about trust or something completely different, to praise Isaac, it doesn't have to be anything you want to talk to God about and you just want another person to help you as you um, come before the Lord. They are there and they're very happy to um, pray with you. So I'm going to invite Dustin and the band up. And I'm going to pray, and uh, this is your time.
I invite you to spend it with the Lord. And I invite you, if you're not feeling or sensing what the Lord is saying, give yourself patience. God doesn't always speak immediately. But also respect the fact that God might be speaking to the people around you. So let's walk a little softer and talk a little quieter during this time to give space and respect the conversations that the Lord is having today.